Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of October 15th, 2018. Coming up on today's show, possibly the best set of listener questions we've ever had, including new details about the proposed Fort Wilderness DVC, the as-yet-unannounced restaurants at Disney Springs, and a possible refurb of Spaceship Earth. Also, news from Walt Disney World and Disneyland, and Jim tells us the story of how Starbucks and Disney got together. If you like the show, check out our other shows at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. There you'll find dozens of Bandcamp exclusive shows that have never appeared on iTunes. Our most recent show looks at my recent Disney cruise from New York to Quebec. And Jim has a look at Michael Ovitz's new book about his time working for Disney and Michael Eisner. Check those shows out at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. On this week in Disney history, way back in 1998, Fantasmic debuts. In Disney's Hollywood Studios, more importantly, Disney legend Jack Wagner is born in California in 1925. Who's Jack Wagner? You know him, of course, as the original voice of the monorail narrations in both Disneyland and Walt Disney World. We'll post his original Walt Disney World monorail narration at the end of today's show. But first, let's bring in the man I call my bay in Bay Lake. One Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I'm great, Len. I, no disrespect to Jack Wagner, who again was the voice of Disneyland, and you're right you know, about the monorail, but have you ever listened to in from like the, the mid-1980s where Jack also did the voice of Mickey Mouse? No. Is it good? No. <laughs> no, it's not good. <laughs> it's Jack Wagner's lesser work. To his credit, I mean, he was a big hands-on guy when it came to the parades and that sort of mm -hmm. thing, and somebody posted footage from the parade from the like 15th anniversary at, at Walt Disney World, and Jack is doing the voice of Mickey during the parade, and <laughs> never mind, it's the mid-80s and lots of bad clothes and music choices, but it's like, hi, kids, how are you? <laughs> so we are very lucky that sh shortly, I, I want to say it's 1988, the company set up its character voice department and brought in like the late, great Wayne Alwayne to voice Mickey everywhere. So Mickey actually sounded like Mickey as opposed to somebody who was getting ready to put on a truss. <laughs> is this the special with Kathleen Turner? There you go. Oh, okay. So one of our one of our listeners uh, sent it to us. All right, we'll talk more about that on an upcoming show. We'll uh, I'll have to go through the cool. entire thing. I've downloaded it for my plane trip uh, over the weekend. So let's let's uh, let's put that off until Okay, next just show. be ready when you hear Mickey in the parade. It's gonna, wow. <laughs> Something wrong with my Apple iPhones? What have tap tap tap. All right, Jim, this is possibly the greatest set of listener questions we've ever had. Let's get started with, uh, with them. Kate writes in to say, I received a survey today from Disney asking my thoughts on the name of a new DVC. It seems like the name for a potential resort at Fort Wilderness. It was a series of what do you think questions about the name Reflections, a Disney lakeside lodge. And along with that uh, set of questions was another question that asked Kate to click on phrases other survey respondents used to describe that name. So words like peaceful dinners in the evening, tranquil, serene, water, relaxing, fireside, and rustic buildings. Also kayaking. Jim, I mentioned this to a couple of people. One person I mentioned it to said, Reflections sounds like the name of a retirement community. But what what do you think? Like this is, is this a cocoon thing? Yeah. Reflections, a Disney Lakeside Lodge. This is the DVC that you and I have been following that they're building at Fort Wilderness. We're five years in now from when the plans were initially put out there and the survey work. And when you think about how many names 
Disney has used for this project. I can track this thing back to the mid-90s when it was going to be Buffalo Junction. Right. But here, the whole notion of reflections, a Disney Lakeside Lodge, you, you have just enough connective tissue to Wilderness Lodge. Right, Lodge, yeah. Wilderness Lodge also has its villas at uh, Wilderness Lodge, so it has its own DVC component. But I was making some calls to friends who work the resort development side of the project here, and the gimmick of this resort is they are targeting anybody who ever stayed at Fort Wilderness camping. Oh, really? As a potential guest at this resort. The very things you were mentioning coming off the survey, they like the kayaking and the peaceful, quiet, that sort of thing. I was told the potential list of entertainment options for this place include, for example, from the hotel, they will run basically a series of pargos that will roll guests out into Fort Wilderness. You know how campers decorate their sites for Halloween and Christmas? This is actually going to be an activity offered to guests staying at Reflections. The whole notion of, hey, we're going to go out tonight. We're taking a group of people out to look at the holiday decorations out in the campground. You remember those. You stayed here. The idea is to create, for those who camp there and remember it fondly, but don't actually want to camp ever again, who don't want to lie on the ground or be in a cramped camper or that sort of thing. So this is this weird Venn diagram where it's like, Hey, you have fond memories of Fort Wilderness, but you hate camping. Wouldn't this be a great place to go? Reflections, this Disney Lakeside Lodge. The project that's being built on top of the old river country piece of territory, it has an absolutely beautiful view of Bay Lake. Mm -hmm. They really, really want to fast track this. Now remember, we, we actually had some, not necessarily site prep, but... Some final shutting down of River Country, filling in the old swimming pools and that right. Mickey's backyard barbecue is closed. They've done some geotechnical yeah. borings. I mean, the 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 groundwork uh, has been done. Yeah. So the conversation is serious. Work begins in 2019, okay. and with the goal to make this one of the offerings for the 50th anniversary to have it a brand new generation Disney Resort. Mm-hmm on top of a much-beloved old part of the resort, a river country. It's a new reason to come back to an old favorite, right? That sort of thing. There we go. No, that's it exactly. I should be in Disney marketing. I should put the word magic in there somewhere. There we go. There we go. All right, Jim. uh, So to set up the next question uh, from Caleb, Mm -hmm. remember on the last show, I I told a story about how uh, my sister went to Extra Magic Mornings at the Magic Kingdom, and despite having a monorail breakdown on the way there, she thought it was the greatest $70 she ever spent in a Disney theme park. Mm -hmm. This past week, she went to the same thing over at Disney's Hollywood Studios for Toy Story Mm -hmm. Land, where they're doing Extra Magic Mornings as well, and brought unofficial guide slash touring plans test child uh, Gigi with her to do it. Same thing. She said it was fabulous, totally worth the money she spent. She won on, I think, every ride except for Slinky Dog Dash four times. She said the food was fantastic, even better than at the Magic Kingdom. The cast members loaded her and her daughter up with as much food as they wanted to eat. And she enjoyed this, even though Slinky Dog Dash wasn't running for approximately half of the extra magic morning that she attended. So despite that, she was still able to get in enough rides and then, you know, one or two times on Slinky Slinky Dog Dash to make it all worthwhile. So in the spirit of that, Caleb writes in and says, I caught the discussion about early morning magic on the most recent show. I wanted to clear up one point about the number of tickets sold. 
Len estimated that there were 500 to 700 tickets for each EMM. The actual number is reportedly a hard cap of around 200. A poster on one of the Disney forums several months ago reported that they called Disney to purchase four tickets and were told only three were available as 197 had already been sold. So, Jim, 200 people in Fantasyland, wow. that's, that's a good deal. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even know if 200 people were in the park, right? Mm-hmm. So Caleb's, Caleb's question is, uh, is this. They recently introduced Extra Magic Mornings for Toy Story Land at the studios. I assume this is a test to see how much demand there is for the same program across all the other parks. Uh, surely Pandora is next, right? Is that, that's the first question. I would imagine that they're going to move this out to other parks, right? You have to understand that there's a, only a certain market segment that when you present that for an extra, what was the fee again your sister paid? She paid uh, around $70, I think, for, for both of them. You know, and I, I know the price is going up $10 more in December for the Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but Caleb's point is this. Imagine walking onto Flight of Passage and Navi River Journey three or four times each or waving at Navi River Journey while you walk onto Flight of Passage six or eight times, followed by breakfast at Satuli Canteen. That, that sounds perfect to, to me, he says. I agree. It, it sounds like a wonderful opportunity, but remember, you have to target just the right market segment. You have to be able to target the folks who are willing to pay this upcharge. And then it becomes a question of which is the hot choice. I mean, obviously, Toy Story Land just having opened... Yep. There's demand there. All right. So, so Caleb, Caleb anticipates this, uh, what you're saying, Jim, and says, mm-hmm. uh, what will they offer for Star Wars Land? Given the demand, I imagine they'll let in 1,000 people and charge them each $150. I think one of those numbers is too high and the other number is far too low. Caleb, it might mm-hmm. be like 500 people at $500 each. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Caleb points out, and you know what? It would be worth it. Uh, so, so, Jim, I mean, this is clearly they're going to do some sort of EMM program for Galaxy's Edge, right? Without a doubt, but where this gets interesting, it's one thing to do this in California where you just have Galaxy's Edge, whereas when the Orlando version of this gets up and running Mm -hmm. and you have guests who are paying to stay in the Star Wars-themed hotel who are supposed to have their own special component, that gets a little dicey, the whole notion of people are already paying big bucks to stay in that hotel and have their own interactive experience with smugglers and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So to to figure out how to track yet another revenue stream, create this other opportunity to bring a set number of guests in without negatively impacting the guests staying at the hotel because they are going to have a sense of entitlement because they paid to stay in that hotel. Yeah, I see that. Uh, but, you know, they could, they could say, for example, five days a week or four days a week mm-hmm. will offer this. So like, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, let's say, just to sort of cover mm-hmm. all the bases there. Because everyone everyone in the hotel is, has to stay for two days, right? It's a minimum two-night yep. stay. I think yep. we, we all agree on that. But then, you know, three days a week, they could mm-hmm. let in 500 people and charge them each, you know, and I'm, and I'm making up a number here, $300, you know, for mm-hmm. an hour. And still, so they're able to sort of satisfy both contingents without having them overlap. I think people need to be ready in 2019 for things that are going to be tried, trial balloons, all that sort of stuff with a Galaxy's Edge that, again, then get interesting when this hotel finally opens. Right, but that's so, not like till 2021, 2022, right? I mean, we, don't, we don't think that's going to open in time for... I think we talked on our previous shows about they've been doing the, the test footings and the former wetlands, yeah. and it's like, wow, they're still wet. Still wet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, uh, another listener question. An anonymous friend of the show writes in, with more information on the Bongo's restaurant closings. Remember, we, we were announced uh, a few months ago that a new restaurant group mm-hmm. had bought the Bongo's uh, spot 
uh, or the lease in Disney Springs, and that at the end of 2019, Bongos would be closing and becoming a new concept. So the restaurant group that's going to be taking over is the Chicago-based Let Us Entertain You. I love that name. Yeah, Let Us, L-E-T-T-U-C-E, Let Us Entertain You. So they, uh, they have an Italian chain. They also do a, uh, a place called ABA, which is apparently the hottest new place in Chicago. But it looks like their Disney Springs concept will be based on their Beatrix model. It's a American slash bakery slash coffee house. So uh, I know that sounds like Panera, but if you go to their website and look at it, it uh, looks much more uh, appetizing than that. It's interesting for a couple of reasons. One is there is actually no bakery coffee house American bistro in Disney Springs. So in terms of market fit, uh, that, that seems like a good idea. Also, the price point is good. It's not inexpensive. It's not super expensive. It's sort of a moderate. So again, fits in right with what uh, Disney uh, Springs is uh, trying to target. What do you What do you think about this, Jim? Coffee house bakery. I'm a little concerned because Starbucks owns Starbucks next to Characters in Flight. Isn't that like right across the street from Bongo? Oh, it's like yards away, Jim. Yards away. <laughs> I, I imagine that every night after the uh, Disney Springs closes, the uh, Beatrix mm-hmm. employees and the Starbucks employees can rumble sort of uh, West Side Story style. Oh, okay. Some right. singing and some dancing. I think it'd be good. Just I get a little concerned sometimes, but okay. I trust their judgment on this. And it's Walt Disney World. There's no such thing as too much caffeine when, when you're at Walt Disney <laughs> The opposite might be true. Right? It could be worse to not have any. All right, uh, Jim, our, our friend Greg asks, I just read on WDWNT.com that Spaceship Earth might go down for a two-year refurb beginning in 2020 as part of a larger refresh of Future World. Future World and Tomorrowland are my favorite lands, but they definitely haven't kept up with the times or held onto that nostalgic future that never was feeling. Do you and Jim know anything about the Spaceship Earth refurb or what we might be seeing in Future World aside from the Guardian's coaster? So the rumor of a Spaceship Earth refurb has been around for... 10 years, longer than that, right? Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about this timeline is it starts a little later and finishes a little earlier than what we were hearing is the most recent refurb of it. But uh, but what do, you, what do you know about this, Jim? From chatting with folks out West who have been working on this project, and remember, oddly enough, it's always the stretch just past the Gutenberg and his press that that gets tinkered with, whether it's the global neighborhood or... Right. So, so sorry, let me, let me pause there. So the rumor is that some scenes will stay as is. Yeah. But starting around the Industrial Revolution, everything from that point forward will be uplifted somehow. I think the rumor was that certain scenes, like the IBM scene right now, will stay. But then, especially after the Palo Alto garage scene, all of that is fair game to be completely redone and reimagined. From the time that this show was last retooled, the way we communicate has fundamentally changed. There's no mention of the little blocks that we all hold in our hand to check our mail or our voicemails or that sort of thing. And it's the history, the story that this attraction tells has to be rejiggered to re, to reflect the world we live in now. Right. Likewise, I'm told that the space flight component in the dome at the very top is going to be rejiggered to be that much more spectacular, though the problem is... At this exact same time, you've got from the Mission Space Restaurant project that's being built. Right. And that keys off of those amazing giant windows that are supposed to give you the illusion of you're dining on a space station out in space. And the team that's working on trying to make this spectacular for Spaceship Earth, for the new ta-da sequence at the top before you then begin 
trundling back down to the load and load mm-hmm. area. It's like we're sort of repeating ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Here. There's there's probably one good set of ideas or one best set of ideas that, that yeah. are being kicked around, and you've got two attractions that need them. Yeah, I think about how many Disney theme park attractions that are future skewed somehow feature footage of either the Apollo rocket taking off from the pad or a shuttle. A lot of uh, the same space things shown over and over again. That's it, exactly. So it's just the whole notion of how are we going to make this different? How are we going to make this spectacular? And understanding that, of course, right across the street, we've also got the Guardians of the Galaxy indoor coaster, which will also feature space space flight. Right, right, right. Yeah, so it's sort of like, okay, guys, can we come up with three really good ideas here as opposed to, oh, my God, it's the moon and a, and a thing. Oh. Well, the, the good news is is that by 2020, when this thing starts, we should be, if the mm-hmm. schedules hold, a year into private passengers on commercial space flights. So I think both SpaceX and Blue Origin are scheduled to take the first paying passengers into space next year. So one of them could adopt that is the theme. And I'm not sure which one would do it, but the concept of space travel in Spaceship Earth, I don't think it fits as much. Spaceship Earth is about communication. I mean, I get the idea that we're all on a spaceship called Earth, but the idea of Spaceship Earth is the history of human communication. So maybe the idea just goes to uh, to cell phones there and we leave the actual space flight to the Mission Space Restaurant. And when you think about the, think about the background story, right, for each of them, it, the concept of space flight fits more neatly in one than the other. But the, the, the larger question, um, or the larger mm-hmm. thing on WDWNT said was that mm-hmm. um, it's part of a larger redo of Future World. Now, on a show way back, there was some concept art for a Future World redo that was shown at a D23 Expo. And I think, Jim, at the time, we didn't say this on the show, but we knew even then that the particular piece of concept art that was shown at D23 had already been abandoned as a, as yeah. a concept. When it was shown, it, everybody, it, the people that were showing it knew it was never going to happen, right? So what's, what's, yeah. the, what's the plan now? It's kind of twofold. The plan for the Walt Disney World 50th anniversary celebration is... The place you're supposed to end your evening or, or end your vacation mm-hmm. is at Epcot watching the brand new version of Illuminations. Mm-hmm. That this is going to be brand new state-of-the-art show. So that there's a lot of work that's being done there. You've got the, these two, well, three, if we're talking about the Mary Poppins Returns attraction. Mm-hmm. These new entertainment offerings. But... Spaceship Earth kind of came into the mix very late in the game, and the argument in-house was, this is the thesis attraction. It is, for that yeah. Park. It's, it, it is literally the symbol of the park and its thesis attraction. Yeah, so especially if we're bringing people back for the 50th anniversary, we have to update this, we have to upgrade this. We're looking forward to a, a different version of the future than we did perhaps when Walt Disney was a world alive. Just, it, there will be... A kind of interesting aspect of Illuminations that I just heard about this week that supposedly there's discussion of creating sort of a spine of fountains. The spine was a uh, was an idea that was kicked around prior to the D23 announcement. I don't know if it was explicitly mentioned in the D23 mm-hmm. announcement, but okay, what are you hearing? If you remember from the one piece of art, they showed how it looked like World Showcase Lagoon had sort of extended out into the uh, World Showcase Plaza and had some very World of Color-like fountains. Mm -hmm. The notion is that the show could travel 
from uh, you, you know the fountains that are actually in the center of old the old Communicore? Oh yeah, yeah, the Fountain of Nations. Fountain of Nations. Okay, uh, picture this: you create a water feature that runs down the very spine from the center of Communicore. I'm sorry, again, I'm dating myself here. Uh, all the way out to War Showcase Lagoon, which now bumps out a little bit. So what would happen is that, in effect, the show could travel back and forth. You could watch these kinetic fountains that would run up the center of the park and oh, then okay. run back right. out to War So the show, show would, uh, part of the redesign, would connect the fountain, the big fountain of nations that's in the middle of Future World mm -hmm. to World Showcase Lagoon through some sort of like a long-running, a very long fountain or water feature mm -hmm. in the middle of the, in the middle of the walkway yes okay ironically enough they're going back over the history of epcot and what were the most popular parts of epcot and it turns out the leapfrog fountain oh it's uh, imagination so f picture that writ big len oh. i mean with the notion that the water would in theory travel from world showcase jumping over your head and making it all the way to the fountain in the middle of the park and then and then jump back whom among us back in the 80s or 90s when we saw the jumping water fountains in imagination mm. did not think this was the greatest single thing in the history of hydroengineering ever? If you think about it, what's been done with World of Color or for that matter at the oh, Bellagio yeah. or that sort of Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just understand that that comes at the price of some other larger redos that perhaps have fallen by the wayside. I mean, it's interesting that we're hearing talk about the redo of Spaceship Earth and we've all patiently been sitting waiting for the redo of Journey into Imagination. And that's still looking for a sponsor. I think the easy thing is, I mean, Spaceship Earth, it's, it's, it's much easier to get a, uh, a sponsor for Spaceship Earth, right? Mm -hmm. Well, first thing you encounter as you come into the park. And again, thesis attraction. Especially if you bring in cell phones and newer technology. I mean, you'd have companies fighting for them, fighting over themselves to give you money to, to show their... Jim, one, one quick question about the Illumination show, and Laurel had brought this up to me after we had talked about it uh, about uh, last month. Are, are they really still considering uh, Windows in the World as the uh, name of the new show? I think you and I have talked about this off air. Here's where I asked the question, folks. Yeah. Windows in the World happened to be the name of the restaurant that was on top of building one of the World Trade Center when it was attacked on 9-11. For a lot of people, that's the first thing that comes to mind with that name i'm surprised that disney would consider it well and more to the point if you google it's literally the first thing that comes up if you if you right. google it yeah this gives you some idea of how things work within the disney bubble that has been the name of this show this proposed show for three to four years at this point the argument within disney is well you know come on you know that's what we give the restaurant at the top of the contemporary used to be called and it's like Guys, maybe this other one supersedes that. So yes, they are now looking for a name. I mean, but the problem is the conceit of the show is that you get to look into each of these pavilions around World Showcase and, and you encounter Disney characters. Ratatouille and his friends from France and Mary Poppins and Jack, not Bert, from Mary Poppins Returns and Coco and his extended family at Mexico. So... It's now finding a different conceit to, well, how do we look into these worlds? And it's, it's not a deal breaker. I mean, the on the world phrase is fine. It's the windows part yeah. that, you know, putting it all together that causes the problem. I mean, it could be a lookout to the world or something like that. I mean, they can still do the idea, just not that particular name. I mean, the idea is fine for what it yeah. is. It's, you can't call it that name. 
anymore, right? The, the very thing you said, it, it's the whole notion of you've had these meetings for three to four years and nobody, nobody brought this up? I'm sure it was in the back of everyone's mind. I mean, I, I, I mean, as soon as Laurel said it, I remembered that that was the name of the restaurant. It wasn't, there's sort of two different areas of my brain and I can kind of see how people wouldn't necessarily associate them. But like you said, typing it into Google, it's, it's the first result that comes up. You'd have think that in terms of a, a trademark search, or something like that, that somebody would have already done that. And that would have been the first thing. And somebody then might have said, you know what, possibly not the best name for this thing. So I'm going to go on record right now saying, uh, when is the world will not be the name of the new show. Okay. One little final note here that, that the friend I was talking with about evidently when this started becoming an issue, they, they put together a list of other possible names for the show. And it's like Epcot's Andrea Doria extravaganza. <laughs> 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 and the hilarious Hindenburg Festival, <laughs> Hindenburg. and it's just sort of like <laughs> airships on the world. <laughs> That's right. Let's run these by legal. Isn't there going to be any issue? It's a, a, titanic, a titanic entertainment, folks. <laughs> yeah. Just check these out too before we maybe you know, we decide, should maybe before we make the t-shirts. We should just you know. I'm just saying. All right, uh, mm -hmm. Jim. Uh, one more uh, listener question. Our friend Neuro writes in and says, "Hey, I just saw this on the Reddit for Northern Virginia. It's an announcement that the Void virtual reality experience with the Secrets of the Empire is coming to the Washington D.C. area. So, uh, so Jim, this is the Star Wars VR experience that's right now at Disney Springs. You know, I've talked about it on the mm -hmm. show. I think it's fantastic." It uh, looks like Disney's expanding this now. It's another city that's getting the VR experience. What do you what do you make of this? What I love about this this place that's opening in Virginia is a. I'm actually hoping that when Nancy, Alice, and I are driving up and down the Eastern Seaboard next month, that it's either open on our way down or it's open on our way back because we're definitely swinging in to check this thing out in in Tyson's Corner. Is is that where that this is opening? Right. Yeah. We've talked about Disney Quest. We talked about the plan that Disney had back in in the 90s where they were going to build at least 20 of these stateside and an additional 10 yeah. overseas and and now to finally see this moving forward and in fact that one opening in virginia and it, to be honest what there's the one that's already opened at the glendale galleria yeah glendale vegas london right. uh i think salt lake city mm -hmm. uh, orlando and new york i mean Lots of different places that are mentioned are uh, already under construction. With the art that they're showing at the one in Virginia, this is going to open with at least two options. It's going to have the Ralph Breaks the Internet show in addition to the Star Wars show. Ah, uh, right, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how these do in other markets. So, But yeah, I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to this. And I think as we talked on, on some previous shows, the Imagineers aren't quite as enthusiastic about this, largely because they do view it as competition for the parks and it will get challenging. But I say, bring it on. I'd love to see this. Yeah. I mean, I think for the uh, for the number of things that each of them can learn about entertainment from the other, it's a, it's a good partnership. Uh, Jim, also, have you noticed that the latest Lego Star Wars set just released includes a scene from the Void's VR story, Secrets of the Empire, about Darth Vader and the setting around it? The, well, this, for me, is cool. I mean, it's just the notion... I mean, think about how people used to respond when they could get toys that were in the Disney parks, but, but only from the Disney parks. In fact, I don't know if you saw the lines in the park for that that Doom Buggy figure. Oh, yeah. So to, to now have this, dude, to have toys keying off of... Stuff that's going on in the parks, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, no, this is this is kind of huge. I'm really, really, really looking forward to 
where else this goes. Oh, me too. I think uh, more Lego sets is good. And I know right now as we're talking about this, half of our listeners are already typing on Amazon.com looking for that particular Lego set. Let's take a <laughs> let's take a quick commercial break. Let them finish up their searches and buy it, and then we'll come back uh, with a story about Starbucks and Disney. All right, folks, we'll be right back. And we're back. All right, Jim, we talked earlier about a possible new restaurant concept coming to Disney Springs that is sort of an American bistro slash coffee house slash bakery. Um, but as you noted, there is already one of those in Disney Springs. It call, it's called Starbucks. And what brought Starbucks into the parks? I think you've been researching this for a while, right? Would you like to tell us the story? Starbucks is only a little bit older than Walt Disney World. That The first Starbucks actually opened at Pike Place Market in Seattle back in on May 30th, 1971, which just a full six months before Disney World. But uh, March 30th. March 30th, right? March 30th, yeah. Right. And then it's been interesting to watch the Starbucks creep into the Disney parks, but it turns out the first one wasn't stateside. It was actually over at Disneyland Paris. It was built yep. there at the shopping village. And uh, that opened back in July of 2009. And its claim to fame was at that time... It was the 50th Starbucks to be built in France. You say that that's the claim to fame. The first thing I remember about that Starbucks is that it was two euros to use the Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's funny, it's funny what we remember, right, Jim? <laughs> there we go. This is kind of a big deal to have a giant food or, or quick service kind of a thing come into the park. But let's face it, it, this isn't necessarily new. I mean... Back in July of 87, Disney cuts a deal with the McDonald's Corporation. And that was originally just sort of a one-off because of the 50th anniversary of the release of Snow White. But that went so well that Disney and, and McDonald's got together and they did a promotion in June of 88 for Roger Rabbit and likewise on November of 88 for Oliver and Company. And the, the really big one, the one that had kind of got the attention of everybody on the planet was when they did Happy Meal Toys for the original release of The Little Mermaid in November of 89. And Disney had seriously underestimated the appeal of The Little Mermaid. There wasn't enough merch in the market. In fact, the, the first set of, of Ariel dolls were blonde because the folks at Mattel were like, redheads don't sell. <laughs> sure. I'm serious. All right. Serious. But what ends up happening is that there's a falling out with McDonald's over Dick Tracy. That the the company had agreed to put up forty million dollars for this Crime Stoppers game to promote that Warren Beatty movie, which bombed at the box office. Well, I mean, it it was a disappointment. It cost like a hundred million dollars to make, and it barely sold a hundred million dollars worth of tickets stateside. Okay. And so McDonald's felt like because nobody came in to play the game, they had anemic foot traffic, and so they're kind of in the grousing back and forth at Disney and. Now, you have to understand this is McDonald's only has 3,500 restaurants at this point. Burger King has not only 900 okay. in the country. And they're like, ooh, well, they look unhappy. And they slipped in during a period where Disney and McDonald's were fighting and scored this deal. They were in the right place at the right time. The very first film that they promoted through their kids' meals was Beauty and the Beast in November of 91. And then it's, it's Aladdin, it's Lion King, it's all of these giant films. And McDonald's is standing at the outside of it going, oh, damn, we should have gotten back in. So in 1996, they cut a deal with Disney, this global marketing deal. It literally lent, it's a billion dollar deal. A billion dollars in 1996 money. 
Yeah, and right. it's 10 years long, and they're not just going to do Happy Meals. They're going to pay for attractions, so that's how we wound up with Countdown to Extinction. Right, so uh, if you remember ever standing in line in the, for Countdown to Extinction or Dinosaur, uh, the audio that played was actually mentioning McDonald's in the queue. So it was made, and the, the phrase was that uh, Dinosaur or Countdown to Extinction was made possible through a generous grant by the McDonald's Corporation. Actually said it in the audio. And then the um, pipes that ran above the queue that were supposed to be handling, you know, the technology for the uh, time travel were actually the chemicals for ketchup, mayonnaise, and mustard, right? You've nailed it. But strikes to be particularly funny about this is, remember, July of 1994, Michael Eisner has emergency quadruple bypass surgery. Right. And immediately after this gets very, very... Health conscious. Yeah, and that's, so it's like, all right, we should put turkey burgers in the park. We should get rid of fries, and we should have grapes. And and, and then here comes Kellogg McDonald's with their billion-dollar deal. And it's like, hey, did I say we had to have turkey burgers? Please bring the chicken McNuggets in and sell them at Restaurantosaurus. Or, anyway, back to Starbucks. So clearly, Disney had been willing to do this previously. Right. And, and more to the point, they had a relationship with a coffee company back. In fact, coming into Disneyland in 1958 was Hills Brothers. Right. And they actually ran the Hills Brothers Coffee House and Garden through 1976 in Anaheim. But one of the things that's important to stress here and to double back to McDonald's for just a sec was that one of the reasons that Disney didn't renew that this 10-year deal, in fact, McDonald's was, was basically willing to sign up again, but you got to remember, uh, November of 1998, there was the first of the big tobacco settlements. Oh, right, 98. Yeah, so where the states got billions of dollars. That's it, exactly. Right. And the belief at that time was that so many of these attorney generals, I mean, there were 46 states in, in this part of that settlement went. And the thinking was that they were immediately going to pivot on big food. And the, right. the notion of going after the fast food restaurants and all that. And so Disney was like, eh, do we really want to be in bed with these guys and have our toys in their Happy Meals when this is all headed to court? So maybe, and to be fair, McDonald's at this point was going, to, as it's getting ready to renew the deal in 23 or 2003, 2004, it's like, and remember, this is the age of Brother Bear and Home on the Range, and it's Disney. Oh, and Chicken Little, animation. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, it's not like, the finest moment of Disney animation history. So it's like, yeah, maybe we'll find somebody else to put toys in our thing. So, so this was also pre-Pixar acquisition, too. Yeah. yeah. So Disney's own animation unit was not doing well. Pixar was doing better. Okay, all right, go ahead, go ahead. And, and more to the point, remember, Pixar was at that time looking for outside suitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, what, what cracks me up here is that the notion that while Disney is a little concerned about obese children, they have no problem whatsoever with caffeinated adults. <laughs> this is how this deal went down. It's 2004, it's 2005, and you have your, your survey turkeys outside of, of Disney, and they are keeping tabs on people come through the door. Yeah. And oh, I, 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 know exa yeah, I know exactly where you're going here because I've, I've been at the park in the morning, and if you're there... What do you see people with people standing around you? What, what, are you, what are they holding? They are holding Starbucks. Again, in fact, they... Not only Starbucks, Jim, the largest cup of Starbucks <laughs> that, they could, mm -hmm. that they could physically carry through security, right? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Supposedly, this was informal. Like, and at one point, a manager was like, can you, can you guys just keep a loose tab, tabs on what this is? And 
the stat that came through is on a weekday, and I want to say this is this information came through 2010, 2011. On, on a weekday, 5% of the guests that were coming through were holding a Starbucks coffee container. Right. On the weekends, mm-hmm. especially before noon, this jumped to 10% of the guests coming oh, through. Oh, sure. Day. And you know that, that some of those guests had already consumed their entire Mm. Uh, coffee by the time they got there, right? Because they're if you're drinking, no, that's it, exactly. you're drinking espresso shots, yeah. that's, you're not going to carry the cup around mm. with you because you can drink that in three seconds. Yeah, you have to remember, financial correction happens in 2008. A Starbucks, when you're you're trying to, to pay your mortgage, you can let your morning stop at Starbucks go for a while. So they got hit hard, Len. I mean, for example, by January of 2009, just three months after the financial correction got serious, mm-hmm. Starbucks closed a thousand stores in the United States. Oh, I remember, yeah, yeah. And it took them two and three years to to really come back. And so it's their 40th anniversary year, 2011. And here's the Walt Disney Company with this information about guests coming through the door holding the coffee things, mm-hmm. and it's. It's really not a, if you can't meet them, join them situation. It's more a case of, look, if it's here in the parks, they don't stop outside. Yeah, it's a chocolate and peanut butter moment, right? Yeah. This came together so quickly. I don't know if you remember, it was the the D23 in 2011 where they finally unveiled Buena Vista Street. And they were talking about the, what is it, Fiddler, Pfeiffer, and Practical Pig Cafe that was being built at DCA as part of the the grand redo of the entrance. And it was just it was just going to be a cafe. But now you have your announcement in April of the very next year April of, of 2012 that Starbucks is coming into the parks and the very first place Starbucks goes is Fiddler and Pfeiffer. It's just okay, whatever we've got planned that gets chunked because we're going to serve Starbucks beverages here. Uh, along with a few of their menu items, but mostly Disney stuff. All right, so Jim, let me let me ask you this uh, ask you this question, and uh, I, uh, yep. I want to talk to you about it in this this particular point in time, and then I'll come back to it later on. Didn't Disney have a uh, contract with Nescafe for coffee in the parks at this point? Yes. Okay, so yeah. so how did that work? I would argue as a lawyer that what Nescafe was selling wasn't in fact, coffee by any reasonable definition of the, of the word. But but go ahead. You probably have a better way of saying that. The notion is that going to Nestle's and say, you have the entire resort. We are talking initially just six restaurants, quick service places around the Disneyland Resort and the Walt Disney World Resort. Just these six venues. You have everything else. And coming with the market research about this is something that guests have requested and it just... There were certain concessions made because the whole notion of we were here first. We signed this giant deal with you folks. But the whole notion of we're just responding to the forces of the marketplace. But then what got fascinating about, okay, we're only doing these six locations, but the locations have to be very, very carefully picked. Okay. And this actually, then they, they turned back to the old Disneyland rule of, okay, Depending on who you talk to, what is it? You know, anywhere from seventy to ninety-five percent of the the public is right-handed, and so in the nineteen sixties and seventies, Disney took advantage of this to, for example, as you walk into Disneyland and remembering how things were before we had bank machines and before we all had cameras in our phones, but as you walked into the park, came into town square on your right the very first thing you encountered was the bank of disneyland so you could get money and and spend it in the park and then if you came to the park and you had your camera but oh i forgot my film 
the camera store is right on the right. And if you're coming in and it's a sunny day and you need a hat, the hat store is right there. So this is what happened with Starbucks. Disney deliberately made the choice, for example, Fiddler and Pfeiffer and Practical Pig Cafe. As you walk into DCA going up Buena Vista Street, right as you get to sort of facing the Carthay Circle, what's on the right? But where you can get Starbucks. Likewise, same thing if you think about the Fountain View Cafe in Epcot, the Market House at both Disneyland and the, the Main Street Bakery. Mm -hmm. Just the whole notion of put it on the right so people get this as soon as they get into the parks. Okay. The belief at Disney that people think of Starbucks as something they need. The notion of I'm walking up the street and I see a sign that says Starbucks is like, oh, I need that. I need that extra shot of caffeine. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, when I'm in New York, obviously there's a there's a Starbucks on, you know, every third corner. Uh, by the way, uh, mm -hmm. I want to give a shout out to the folks at uh, Joe's Coffee in New York. It's my favorite local mm -hmm. coffee place. They're also, uh, I hear some of them actually listen to the show. So thanks very much, guys. When you're in New York, Joe's Coffee. All right, go ahead, Jim. Okay. I mean, you look at things, for example, the uh, the one that was built at Disneyland outside of the park right. that was... Back at the La Brea Bakery setup, you know, they, they, oh, they I put love the, La Brea. Oh my God. It's the best place to go in the morning for breakfast before Disneyland. But ha have you noticed what they've just done with the redo of the World of Disney? The entrance of World of Disney that's closest actually to uh, Disneyland Plaza mm -hmm. and La Brea Bakery, they've just created a sort of a, an outdoor cafe area with additional tables and and that sort of thing with the notion that you sit there, you drink your caffeinated beverage, and then you think, I really need to shop. <laughs> you know what? I, I want to pick up a few things before I go into the park. Yeah. And in fact, this brings me to the very first Starbucks that, that was built and at Disney Springs where they built that one that basically is between the two entrances for the world of Disney. So <laughs> I don't know if you've you've heard about the latest service they're, they're offering now at, at, at Disney Springs, Lynn, this... I, I want to say news about this broke early this year where basically you can use an app function while you're down at Disney Springs, order coffee, and they'll deliver it to you at Disney Springs. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it, it, it's, this was announced. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. It was debuted November 29th, 2017. So perfect for all those Christmas shoppers. But yeah, Starbucks will deliver your coffee directly to you while you shop. They come find you in Disney Springs using your phone. Wow. Yes, yes. So happy caffeinated people open their wallets so much more often. All right, so... It's swinging back to the, the McDonald's portion of this story. You, you would think that the McDonald's has to have the most restaurants in the United States. And to be honest, just this year, Starbucks passed them. McDonald's currently has uh, 14,146 and Starbucks, I, I want to say they are now at 14,300. But here's the thing, Len. The, even with those numbers, they're still not the largest restaurant chain in the United States. The largest restaurant chain, oddly enough, is Subway's. The very first Subway that I ever encountered in my life was directly across the street from Disneyland in the, that little shopping plaza there at the corner of Harbor and Catella. And... Just so you know, I know that there were so many people who loved the Earl of Sandwich. The Earl of Sandwich has just reopened at, at downtown Disney in Anaheim. But Subway may be making its way into the to Disney's world. All right, uh, Jim, so Jim, one final thing then, one final question about the Starbucks thing. I, I know mm -hmm. right now in the parks, 
they have both Joffrey's coffees mm -hmm. and Starbucks. So for example, if you're in Epcot and you're walking through World Showcase up through Canada, on your right is a coffee stand that serves Joffrey's coffee and pastries. How does that agreement work? We're working on the back of the, this is, for example, Epcot, the only place you can, you can get Starbucks beverages is the Fountain View Cafe. Okay. And Joffrey's has everywhere else. Joffrey's has the, there's a, yeah, there's a stand in Future World. There's at least one in World Showcase. There's probably more. So Starbucks has the one main location, mm -hmm. right? Okay. I don't know if you remember hearing about how Disney has announced that starting 2019 or thereabouts, that they're cutting back on the use of straws. Yep. And throughout the Disneyland Resort, throughout the, the Walt Disney World Resort, and the only people who have ever done any work into something other than plastic straws and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. Starbucks. Mm. They created, they opened the Starbucks inside of Animal Kingdom in the old Creature Comforts Oh, uh, right. Place. Paper straws, yeah. Yeah, that June of 2015. They're on the forefront of this thing. So... It's one of these things where you have all of these other quick service and at other restaurants on Disney property who now have to sort of pivot to Disney's representatives who work with Starbucks. And it's like, okay, how do we get in on the, the paper straws and how do those work? And can we order several thousand gross of those? <laughs> Got it. Though so, uh, one final little side note that sort of deviates off of that story, though, that I have to tell you, the folks that who deal with loss prevention... Loss prevention, okay. The anti-shoplifting people in Disney World. Not really happy about this eco-friendly move on, on Disney's part. What does not having straws and shoplifting prevention have to do with each other, Jim? Well, here's the thing. As part of this initiative that was announced back in July of this year, it means long-term... In addition to re reducing the use of plastic straws, they're going to cut back on polystyrene cups. And beyond that is plastic bags Okay. for the parks. And oh, so you, you, the, you literally just carry around your things? Well, this is where it gets challenging. That yeah, it's, They're looking at recyclable paper bags. They're also looking at totes. And from a loss prevention point of view... This is viewed as, as more opportunities for things to, to wander off. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Because the thing of the, these plastic bags, if you, you look at them, they're relatively clear. You can see into them, and if somebody has perhaps procured an item without paying for it, you get somebody who's, who's working at a Fox, and those are the undercover folks who, who work in the stores. They can eyeball it. They can see it if you've attempted to conceal it, but... Different bags will make this job tougher. Wow, I, uh, I never would have thought of that, but that's a that's a great way to uh, to summarize the whole sort of like larger picture. Yeah. So, but anyway, so that in a nutshell is Starbucks at Disney, and we've just seen back in August of this this year, the Hong Kong, oddly enough, has gotten their own Starbucks in the exact same restaurant or shop, the the Market House huh. uh, that we have at, at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. So. Huh. So the relationship will continue. Yes, it will. That's fascinating, so, Jim. I, I've learned something mm -hmm. today about ourselves, each other, Starbucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and lost profession. Lost profession. So. That's fantastic. All right, folks. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Thanks very much, Aaron. By the way, did you know Aaron's middle name is Superfly? I didn't know that. 
until he filled out his W-9 for us. That would explain the shoes. <laughs> I know, right? Who knew? Who knew? Anyway, okay. also, thanks to everyone who sent in listener questions for this episode. It was fantastic. Keep sending them in. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. It took more than three years from the time the lagoon was started until it was filled with water. Now you can use all kinds of boats for sailing, water skiing, and excursion cruises on both the lagoon and Bay Lake. The large neck of land jutting out into the water is the site for another exciting resort being planned for the near future based on an exotic Asian theme. To the opposite side, just beyond the trees, is something special for you golfers, are two 18-hole championship courses open to the public. They're the site of the annual PGA Walt Disney World Open, featuring the top touring stars of professional golf. Jack Nicklaus is the current champion and will return to defend his title November 30th through December 3rd. Looking back on the water side, the white sandy beach is the beginning of our own Tropic Island Resort here in Walt Disney World, the Polynesian Village. The village is all nestled around a South Seas Harbor, complete with native outrigger canoes, waterfalls, luaus, and plenty of Tahitian dancing. You're invited to return and visit the islanders anytime during our operating hours, simply by taking the local monorail trains from the Magic Kingdom Station. They'll drop you off right here at the Polynesian Village. We're now on the last leg of our journey to the main entrance station. I'll be cutting back our ground speed in a few seconds, so please remain seated until the train comes to a complete stop. We ask that everyone disembark at this station. As you leave, you'll find a courtesy tram directly ahead through the exit turnstiles that will take you to your parking area. Be sure to check for all your personal belongings, and as you leave, please lower your head and watch your step. The doors will open automatically to the right of the train. Thank you for joining us on the Walt Disney World monorail, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay in the Vacation Kingdom. Again, we ask that everyone disembark at this station.